When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Zachy and Judd from the TCL Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Well, he's moving around a little bit. Um, and then the guys take off. You know, they're... Uh, they're second in the league in red zone touchdown percentage so you know a lot of that has been you know obviously they can they run the ball well and then uh you know he moves in the pocket and guys get open and you know they've they've had some guys where they've had have been pretty open too yeah they've committed to the run game uh you know they kind of i think at some point in the season you know earlier in the year they were you know they're throwing it a little bit more now they're now they're more diligent about running with it and sticking with the run, and you know they've gone four on fourth down quite a few times. You know this Carson is a good back. He may be the best or one of the best backs in the league. The way he runs. Uh, Mike Zimmer talking about the Vikings opponent on Monday night. These Monday night games are weird because you just like we're going to do a show on Monday, and like it feels like you ramp up the week until the weekend, and then the Vikings play. And but you don't play. It's a little bit of anti. Anti-climactic. It beats the Thursday money. night games, Phil Mackey. Yeah, Titans and Jaguars tonight. I feel Oof. like they are like leading history in Thursday night primetime. Titans, Jags. Night game. Titans, Jaguars. Oh, yeah. It's every right. year they're always yep. playing one of these games. Let's... One of these two teams will score exactly 12 points tonight. Track mark this. <laughs> 12 to 5, the final score tonight. Yes. No, you're right, though. It always 12 seems to 4, like... actually, might be in play. <laughs> let's, schedule, let's schedule the Titans as much as possible on that Thursday night game. <laughs> Titans roulette. All right, who gets? When's the last time you were excited to watch a Titans game on national television, in which they weren't playing like the undefeated Patriots in 2007 or something? Ours, <laughs> 2000ish. Well, probably last year when they played the Chiefs in the playoffs, only because I thought this was finally going to be regular the time season where the Chiefs. Were the, no, I mean in the play. No, oh, I know. Regular no, season. I'm saying regular season. To Phil's no, question, I'll, no, I, I wasn't excited well, for that game in the postseason either. It was the uh, well, I was Titans. Ex- I was excited for the game because I thought, well, this is the Chiefs can't possibly lose this home playoff game, and then they turned. <laughs> okay, around and but lost that's it. all the wrong reasons for for doing it because you just thought <laughs> knew Andy Reid would fall on his face again like he seems to. No, I was in watching it because I was hoping he wouldn't. I don't know when the last time. I think the last time I got excited about the about the Titans playing in the regular season was probably early two thousands. Eddie George and yes. Steve McNair and those guys. Yeah, that's, that's, that's probably the last back time. when Jeff that's Fisher was accurate. actually still a good coach. He was. That's what people don't remember. Yeah. Jeff Fisher could coach at one time, yeah. and I don't know what happened to that guy. I don't know if he got, but he could coach at one time. Yeah. So I was like an hour ago before I jumped in here uh, for the show. I was on uh, the the mid afternoon show on ESPN Seattle, just breaking down you know, Vikings and Seahawks, and you know what do Vikings fans think? This and that. I said two things. Number one, 
I don't have a whole lot of positivity to shine on behalf of Vikings and Vikings fans because they've lost to every team that they're sizing themselves up against. They've lost to the Patriots, the Saints, the Rams, the Bears. They keep losing to teams that ideally you'd like to beat so that you feel good about your playoff chances and you feel good about your chances to do something in the playoffs. And the second thing I said was, everyone who slept on the Seahawks before the season, that was one of the most ridiculous First guess preseason, and, and I might be ripping on Judd because he thought, thought they, they were, were dead too. I thought that they'd be in big trouble for but, this season. Here's why Absolutely. It, here's why it's absurd, okay? And I'm not saying that they're the they're the same team from five years ago. They've got a borderline Hall of Fame caliber quarterback, and they've got a coach who didn't just like forget how to put together a game plan and get his team energized. I know they've lost pieces. I know their offensive line was a disaster for the most part last year, but they still have some weapons. They've got Russell Wilson. And they've got one of the best home field advantages in the NFL. So the fact that they're at seven and five now and they've gotten hot in the second half of the season should be one of the least shocking things. Thought, People were all over the Niners. I thought and, they went five or six games. I thought they'd be bad. I was totally but, wrong. But if you start a season with Russell Wilson, you start with seven or eight wins. How about, you start how about with Green Bay? Or, they no. start started the year with a pretty good quarterback who's still playing and they're not good this year. But don't this you season. think Green Bay is going to wind up with seven wins? Seven, eight wins. Like it's when you have Rodgers or Russell Wilson. I thought your the, worst case scenario okay. is seven wins. I thought Seattle wouldn't be a playoff team, and they v- very well could be now. Green Bay, I thought would be around a playoff team. They're they're not. So I I got them wrong. But I thought Seattle would take a definite step back. I thought Seattle would win five five or six games. I really did. And Wilson's incredible. That comeback, that mm-hmm. Carolina game, was it's off the charts. I mean, he single-handedly runs around and just makes plays constantly. And I'm watching that that game, and Carolina's not great. They're they're slumping now, but they're not awful. They're not a complete dumpster fire, I didn't think. And on the road, he still makes plays. He is incredible. And you saw the Vikings against Trubisky a couple of weeks ago. He was moving around a little bit, and and he was elusive, and they couldn't get to him, and he got a chance to make a couple plays. Now, Trubisky, later on in that game, gave the Vikings every opportunity to stay in that game and possibly come back and win it. Russell Wilson ain't going to do that. He's going to be he's going to move around and it's going to be hard to bring down. And then he's not going to throw that stupid interception in the third quarter like what Trubisky tends to do once in a while. So this is going to be this is going to be a very, very tough matchup for them. Monday. Your season is over if you lose. And I would say if you lose, you're better off losing the rest of your games to get a better draft pick. I mean, that's where I'm at with this team right now. Like, beat this is your last chance to beat someone relevant. And the Bears are relevant, but beating the Bears at home, to me, is not as important as beating the Seahawks on the road. I don't think you're done, though, Phil. you got three games left, and you can win them all. Okay, when I say your season's over, I mean... Your chance to do anything meaningful in the playoffs is over if you can't I, win a game like this. I think it's done now, basically. So yes, but but there, if you lose on Monday night, you still come back and play host to what the Dolphins. Go, uh, you go to Detroit and then play Chicago here. And depending on now, now with the Bears, I can't decide if they're the uh, if they're going to be locked in or not to their spot. But the point being is, I think if you lose on Monday night, you can still make the playoffs. But if you're saying yeah, as far as as far as doing something in the postseason, but I think you're done now, don't you? Well, no, I I, I think if in the playoffs, I I still I'm not going to write this team off if they win against the Seahawks on Monday night because 
this is a this is a big boy game. You're going on the road, prime time. It's one of the great quarterbacks of this generation. It's a if you win the game, it's to me it's kind of a oh okay all right. That's I know you lost to the Patriots and all these, but what you did in September and October is a lot less relevant. If you start to gain some momentum and now all of a sudden you beat the Seahawks and then you beat, I'm not writing them off until I see what happens on Monday night. But if they can't beat the Seahawks and you can already draw a line across their schedule, I mean I don't know. What else they need to show you to say that yeah. this is just a down year? Now, one thing that I was talking about with somebody yesterday is uh, it, it, this concept that just because you take a step back from thirteen and three to let's say they finish with eight wins or something, so let's say they finish nine six and one and they miss the playoffs, there's no reason why they can't reload and get a couple offensive linemen and make a good draft pick. You know, you're bringing back Thielen and Stefan Diggs, and you're bringing back Delvin Cook. Yeah. yeah, like there's no reason why this has to be what no, it's not, every other yeah. version of the Vikings when they lose in the NFC Championship game is, which is, well, now you got to fire a coach and start over. I, if you miss, if you lose this game and you miss the playoffs, I don't think it has to mean that all of a sudden now you're in reset mode again. I still think you can bounce back. The other thing to watch for too is the Bears are hosting the Rams on Sunday. And if the Rams go into Soldier Field and, you know, it's high-powered offense going into a kind of a slow, sloppy turf, weather kind of crazy, so it might be a tough game for the Rams. But if the Rams go into Soldier Field and beat the Bears, the Bears are suddenly 8-5. and five. Yes. You're the Vikings 6-5-1 and one going into Monday night's game. If you find a way to win, win against Seattle, yes. you're basically a half a game. You're 7-5-1 and one, and the Bears are 8-5. and five. The division is right there. Yes, it's right there. It's uh, it's very likely that the Rams do beat the Bears in that game. I don't yeah. know if they're favored or not. I guess I, my guess is it's probably like a one point Bears on that track. Spread. It probably is pretty close. Hold on, I'll find out. Um, but if you don't beat the Seahawks, Ooh. I don't think it matters. Right. Ooh, in Chicago, the Rams are favored by three. Okay. The mm-hmm. over under fifty two and a half. Interesting. Okay. Pretty high. That's pretty high for a a game in December in Chicago. Because the Bears, after the Rams game, they get the Packers at home. And who knows? I don't know. Maybe Aaron Mm -hmm. Rodgers decides to stick it to the Bears in that game. Or Joe Philbin decides to stick it to the Bears in that game. Uh, But then then they have a two-win 49ers team on the road. But it's a two-win 49ers team in Week 16 leading into that Vikings game. So the way this is shaping up, it could very well be if the Bears lose to the Rams and the Vikings do beat the Seahawks, we're headed straight for Week 17 for the division for the playoffs. And I think at no, US Bank Stadium. And I think with the Vikings playing on Monday night, knowing knowing the end result of what happens, if the Bears lose that game, the Vikings are going into Monday night thinking we got a chance here. We got a real chance. Here's here. your only question: Is the play calling going to make sense? That's your question. Are you going to run a game plan offensively that actually makes sense? Because if you do, you got a chance, especially against good teams. What would you do? Just hand off thirty times? Hand off? I'd run screens. I would. I would put Kirk Cousins in a position to succeed, and that means not putting the game on his shoulders. That's what I would do. And I would use. Listen, Dalvin Cook is healthy, right? That the hamstring is fine. Mm-hmm. All right, Dalvin Cook's a heck of a player. There is nothing wrong if he is healthy. He can make a difference. And and it's no surprise that Thielen and Diggs now are consistently being taken away by opposing. Defenses. We knew that that was coming, and so the question is, how do you counter that? And I counter that with a lot going to Dalvin Cook.
A lot. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's catch up with our friend Tom Pelissero when we come back here from NFL Network. Uh, the football hour continues here uh, just on the other side of this, Judd. But first, Mackie and Judd now continue. What now? What now? Let me tell you what now. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. All right, let's check traffic here in the TCL Broadcast Studios. Let's go to St. Paul, 94 eastbound. We've got that crash between Snelling and Hamlin causing a six-minute delay and uh, 169 northbound between uh, Valley View Road and Highway 62 in Edina. We've got a crash there causing a 12-minute delay. 494 northbound Minnetonka between Excelsior and Highway 7. We've got a crash there uh, causing a five-minute delay, gentlemen. Football. Get our guy in here, Tom Pelissero from NFL Network. And all day behind the scenes here, we, we've been following this Alex Smith story, Tom. And we're wondering if you can shed some light on we, We've seen reports about career-threatening infections in the broken leg following multiple surgeries. Uh, kind, kind of scary stuff here for the Washington Redskins quarterback. Well, what I can tell you is that there is an infection uh, that they've been fighting. He has had surgeries on it. Um, that is a complication when you have a compound fracture that is possible. Um, certainly, the you know, Washington Redskins, everybody else, you know, cares about Alex Smith, is rooting for this not to be uh, something that is career-threatening. But really, the first step is just making sure health-wise he gets into a good place. And so I know Adrian Peterson said he and some other players went over and visited Smith in the hospital. Uh, Colt McCoy, who, of course, replaced Alex Smith until he also suffered an injury, was in the next hospital room over, which gives you an idea how the Redskins season has gone at this point. Uh, it, it's a scary situation. There's no doubt about it. it. It takes you back to thinking about some of the other situations that we've seen in past years with, you know, Lawrence Tynes, the kicker, when he had MRSA. There have been other, um, you know, situations like that, but they're all unique. And certainly, um, you know, best wishes to Alex Smith, who every time I've ever dealt with him, he is, um, you know, certainly one of the, the classy guys in the business. Hey, Tommy, in your mind, how big a mess are the Packers now with um, McCarthy fired on Sunday, and then obviously Philbin moves in to take his place for now. But is this is this a complete mess, or, or is this actually a situation that you think can be fixed fairly quickly in Green Bay? Well, I think personnel-wise, you know, just in talking to people around the league, you know, like some of the frustrations that McCarthy and others had with where they had been, especially in past years, um, they've got a ways to go. There's no question about that. But you do still have Aaron Rodgers, and so the sooner you can get him playing like Aaron Rodgers again, uh, and you do have some good young skill guys around him, like Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams. Defensively, guys like Tyler Fackrell have emerged. Uh, they've got some good young players in the secondary, Jair Alexander. Uh, it's not a total tear-down, rebuild situation, but certainly, you know, if you heard Mark Murphy, the Packers president and CEO, talking the other day, he just kept saying, McCarthy era has run its course. We needed a new voice. They just felt like uh, at this stage they needed a reboot because what they saw against Arizona last week was, to quote Murphy, unacceptable. Uh, that's not how uh, they expected to look. Uh, in the end, and I talked about this on television on Monday when I was out in the studio in Culver City, it's not the worst thing for Mike McCarthy uh, to get fired at this stage because it does allow him to reboot, to get away a little bit, to decide what he wants to do moving forward uh he's got family in green bay you know he's got kids that are in school does he want to jump back in immediately does he take a year off he can think about all that without having to stand there uh, for the next four weeks with every minute of every broadcast being about when is mike mccarthy going to be fired knowing that it's 
an inevitable conclusion on uh, having to play out the string. Yeah. Hey, Tom, so I, I think it's easy for a lot of people to just dismiss the, the Winston Moss tweet about Aaron Rodgers and leadership and say, oh, I mean, you know, it's Aaron Rodgers. You're riding the coattails of one of the great quarterbacks. But I want to flip it around and ask you, I don't, I don't think he just tweets that in a vacuum and and nobody behind the scenes agrees with him. I mean, we've, we've heard players like Greg Jennings speak out and other other things trickle out. Uh, I think he's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, but I do wonder if he is a bit difficult to to be teammates with and maybe even to coach. What have you heard in that department about Aaron Rodgers as a teammate, as a leader? Is there something to that angle at all, do you think? Well, I mean, if we're talking about Aaron Rodgers' leadership, I think you could go back to the way that he set the program when they rallied in the relax year, which I think was 2014, Mm -hmm. the the run-the-table year in 2016. Uh, everybody in that building takes their cue off of Aaron Rodgers. Uh, you know, now he is a, a strong personality. There's no question about it. Uh, he is very intelligent. He knows he's very intelligent. Uh, he's one of the most talented quarterbacks that we've seen in the NFL, and he has, up until the past couple of years, where I don't think he can overlook the injuries, the broken collarbone last year. Uh, this year, the knee injury he had in week one, where they really had to change the identity of what they were doing, especially in the early going because of that. Uh, you know, he's performed at a, at a high level for a long time. I don't entirely know what prompted Winston Moss to tweet something like that or why he would think that it's appropriate to tweet something like that. Uh, Winston Moss was somebody who, and I'll choose my words carefully here, had a very contentious and abrasive relationship with the media going all the way back to when I was on the beat at the Green Bay Press Gazette. Uh, to the point that last year there was a press conference where Judge buddy Jason Wildey had an interesting uh, exchange with Winston in which he asked why Winston had stopped being uh, illuminative in his press conferences, and Winston Moss was not even available to the media this year. He has always been someone who has been difficult to, uh, you know, kind of tap into what he was thinking. I know that he was on the, you know, the list of head coaching candidates that the Fritz Pollard Alliance puts out for years. He had an interview last year with the Detroit Lions, but he's never done himself any favors publicly with, um, you know, showing that he has the temperament to be a head coach. And, you know, that tweet probably erases whatever faint chance there was of that actually happening someday. Hey, Tom, speaking of dysfunction, closer to to here, your thoughts on on the fact that now two out of the past three weeks, Zim has sort of taken sideways, a little bit of shot at Flip's play calling, and and he's walked it back, I think, both times. But... do you think that there's a dysfunction disconnect here that, that is unusual, or is this a first-year co- coordinator who takes the job, comes in, and the head coach is a little bit surprised, and therefore there's not necessarily agreement on how the uh, plays are called? I would start by pointing out that after the Packers game, when uh, John D. Filippo only called a dozen run plays the first three quarters, uh, Zimmer said something along the lines of he did a phenomenal job. Why? They won. You know, the other two weeks, they lost. Uh, If you go back to that game last week uh, against New England, in the first half, they actually have more called run plays on first and second down than they did pass plays. The issue in that game was third downs, they were terrible. You know, they were not extending drives. That's going to impact your attempts. Then all of a sudden, you're two drives into the second half, I believe, and you're down two touchdowns. You're naturally probably going to start throwing the ball a little more. Uh, you know, it, there's definitely a back and forth. Zimmer's made that public. I don't think there's any secret uh, that he would like to see them 
run the football more. You also have to put yourself in the shoes of Filippo, who's looking at the struggles they have on the offensive line. Uh, I, I know what Dalvin Cook's yards per carry was last week. I mean, he did have some, some early success in that game. There's no question. But they've not been able to consistently run the football this season. The offensive line is part of that. Uh, they have not been able to grasp the identity of what they thought they were going to be as a team, which was a pound it and then take play action deep shots. Instead, they've been a precision passing team. And we've seen in games like Green Bay that Kirk Cousins can do that really well. If you can keep him clean, um, you know, he, he's awfully good getting the ball out of his hands. But our research staff uh, sends notes every week, and, and every week it's the same stat updated of how many times Kirk Cousins has been pressured more than any other quarterback in the NFL, you know. You can say that, you know, you certainly can argue that if you ran the football more, that would keep defenses from pinning their ears back and just coming after the quarterback. But when you're not running the football effectively, there's definitely a fine line there between, you know, just kind of hammering your head against the wall uh, to the point that you're not doing what you do best, which so far for the Vikings has been throwing the football. Yeah. Uh, Tom Pelissero, NFL Network, part of the football hour here on Mackie and Judd. We're going to wrap with Ricey in about 15 minutes. Uh, just moving off the Vikings again for a second to something that's just fascinating to me. The Kansas City Chiefs have lost two games this year, and their opponents have had to score 43 and 54 points to beat them. Andy Reid has been a head coach for 20 years, Tom Pelissero, and this might be some of his finest work offensively. Pat Mahomes, uh, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here, but I can't name, and maybe maybe you can, I can't name a more accomplished coach without a Super Bowl championship I'd love to see him win one, but it's amazing what he's done in 20 years, culminating with this offense in Kansas City. Yeah, there's no question about it. And I think that if you're projecting out what Mike McCarthy could do in a second opportunity, Andy Reid, Mark Murphy actually did this at the press conference, is probably a decent comparison. Because it's not as if uh, Andy Reid just went to Kansas City after, I believe it was, what, 14 years with the Eagles? Something like that. And he had had a bad final season. They went like 4-12. and uh, it was the same thing. It had run its course, and Andy gave a big rousing speech to the staff in the cafeteria, and everybody went in their separate ways. He went to Kansas City, and he hired Chris Alt, uh, who had pioneered the pistol offense with Paul and Kaepernick at Nevada. He hired uh, our friend Brad Childress as spread game analyst, and Brad's job was basically just to watch tape of NFL teams, college teams, everything else, steal ideas, and then implement them. You look at what the, the Chiefs are doing now, it, it's nothing like what they were doing uh, with Donovan McNabb in Philadelphia. Certainly you have West Coast principles underlying things, but they're in many ways a college-spread offense. Uh, they're in the shotgun a lot. Uh, they, you know, they do just different types of things than what he had done in his career. It's that ability to stay innovative, to be out front. Maybe he's got to be darn near 60 years old at this point. You know, he still knows how to connect with players, uh, and he still does push himself to continue to innovate. The fact that he has one of the most physically talented quarterbacks we've ever seen in Patrick Mahomes doesn't hurt either. Yeah. 20 years, three losing seasons for Andy Reid. Get that dude a Super Bowl at some point. Uh, I think one of those losing seasons was his first year in Philly, if I'm not mistaken, and then there was the total tank out year in in the final year. I mean, he's he's been one of the most consistent that we've seen, no doubt. Yeah. Hey, where are you this weekend? Currently uh, in New Orleans. I'm going to be going on to the Bucks-Saints tilt. Saints can wrap up NFC South uh, in Tampa, where there is currently a 100% chance of rain for Sunday. Uh, so if you want to see me shivering in a uh, raincoat while interviewing Sean Tate pregame, definitely tune into NFL Network. Hey, Tom, when this is all said and done, how many coaches are going to have been have been let go, do you think? 
Uh, you know, every year we think it's going to be higher than it actually ends up being. Right. History would tell you that it ends up being seven or eight. Uh, last year, I believe, was a lighter year. I think there were only six last year. It's probably going to be somewhere in that area. Um, you know, obviously, you've already got two in Cleveland and Green Bay. Uh, the Jets with Todd Bowles uh, seems to be you know, pretty much a done deal. The Bucks with Dirk Cutter is another one that, unless they make a run here, he's probably out. And then there's a whole bunch of coaches who we got to see how their teams finish before figuring out uh, exactly how you know what direction things might go. Judd loves Black Monday. That's why he. I asks. think we might be talking about eight here. Get fired. <laughs> I think we could be up to eight. You you turn over a quarter of the league every year. Wow. You know, it's not a surprise that we get to a certain point and we're looking at the head coaching candidates and going, "Okay, who am I getting excited about now?" You know, you just you continue to fire people. It's, you know, it's kind of the great conceit of uh, the NFL, which is you know you feel like success is getting into the playoffs. Well, unlike the NBA, where everybody makes it, you know you got twelve teams out of thirty-two to get into the playoffs. That's twenty unhappy owners at least. When it's all said and done, maybe more than that. If you ask Mike Malarkey in Tennessee last year, you just you, you continue to, to turn it over. There's a pressure point there on a lot of different organizations, and it's all really a matter of you know how long owners are willing to see things through and trust that. If they show a little bit of patience, they're going to get where they want to be. Yep. Great stuff. Tom Pelissero. See you, buddy. Thanks, fellas. All right. Tom, uh, founding father of 1500ESPN.com, too. This is fun, though. He's right. Jets, Buccaneers, Jaguars, I still think. I don't care if they told him he's safe. He's going to get fired, right? Bengals. Bengals. Well, Marvin's yeah. probably done. Well, because they're going to hire well, Hugh. He's going to give the job to Hugh. He should be done, but every time people tell uh, uh, Mike Brown, okay, that's it, he keeps the guy. But I think we've talked about this but before. I'm with you. Like, Marvin he probably doesn't even get fired. He steps away and then goes upstairs. Yep. And, and, then, and then Hugh gets the head coaching job. That's such a Bengals Mike Brown. How move. do you sell that? <laughs> Season ticket holders. Mike Brown doesn't care, man. Be excited. Hugh Jackson's yeah. your coach. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that's that's. Mackie and Judd are back. We're about to make a whole lot of people around here real happy. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios on fifteen hundred ESPN. Football. Come on, football. Uh, so on on average, what is it every year? Seven or eight NFL coaches get canned on average. Yeah, I think that's what Tom said. Yep. Think about that, and that's not just like a oh, this one year eight coaches got canned. It's on average we see seven or eight mm-hmm. coach openings. Mm-hmm. Can you think of any other workforce in America that turns over twenty five percent of its industry or of its employees on an annual basis? That's amazing. Um, no, no, and the that only- was a rough year in the garbage collection business. That's it for you. One in every four of you are fired. And the only the only sport I can think of coaching wise that's more out of control than football is probably hockey. Hockey seems like it's absolutely crazy. They're both made for each other. You give a coach three or four years, and then um, and actually in some cases you re- you really give them like two years, and then the seat gets hot, and then they have to prove something in year three. And really, if you're taking over some of these teams, if you're taking over the Bills or the Browns or in hockey, if you're taking over the Phoenix Coyotes or something, Arizona Coyotes, yeah, you probably need more than two or three years to really build something. And uh-uh, there's no patience. But, but, uh, yeah. but think about this: if the Vikings miss the playoffs this year, and then and then they have a disappointing 2019, Zim's probably gone, and he's done a good job, right? I mean, I, I don't think that, that we would sit here and say the guy has not done a good job. 
But if he follows up a, a trip to the conference title game in which they got blown out, yeah. misses the playoffs, let's just say barely in 2018 with huge expectations, and then comes back in 19 and does not make the playoffs or win a round, he's probably gone. So let me offer, which sounds crazy. Let me offer you a, I don't know, an, an AFC comparison here just for fun. The Pittsburgh Steelers who are the model of stability in the NFL. The Pittsburgh Steelers have had exactly three head coaches going back to 1969. Yeah, with Chuck Noll. Chuck Noll, Bill Cowher, and Mike Tomlin was hired in 2007, so he's been there an awful long time. He's one of the five longest-tenured head coaches in the NFL right now. That's almost 50 years. Yeah, seriously. Oh, it's remarkable. I mean, like, that's they Judd's life. Judd was born in 1969, right? Yeah, Chuck Noll. Oh, so if your whole life, yes. the Steelers have had three, three head coaches. Yes. Wow. And, and they've gone through some stretches during the Bill Cowher era and the Mike Tomlin era, and for sure during the Chuck Knoll era, but Bill Cowher came out of the gate 11-5, 12-4, and 11-5. Uh, they went to conference championship game twice. They lost a Super Bowl. Okay, and then, so in 1997, after being at uh, a, a Super Bowl in 95 and two conference championship games, and you figure, oh, well, that was your window, and then they went 7-9 and nine and 6-10. and 10. Coming off that stretch, mm-hmm. every single other organization in the NFL fires Bill Cower. Yeah. Every single one fires Bill Cower yep, after they do, right? And Not that, the Roonies. So knowing that Bill Cower, despite two down years, maybe bad rosters, aging, turnover, whatever it is, quarterback transition, they know he's a good coach, so they stick with him. And they bounced back to nine and seven. Two thousand one, I think that was the Tommy Maddox year. They went thirteen and three. That was Cordell Stewart. Tommy Maddox was the next year. Okay, then they so then they went ten five and one, and eventually they wind up going back to a conference championship game, two of them, and then they win the Super Bowl in two thousand five with the next wave, and then he winds up retiring a year later and going off in the sunset. Okay, Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin came out of the gate and won a Super Bowl in his second year, so buys yeah. buys a little bit more time. But twelve and four Super Bowl. Then they lost a Super Bowl twelve and four. Then they went they went twelve and four again. And then all of a sudden they missed the playoffs two years in a row at eight and eight, and he's now five years removed from a Super Bowl. They don't fire him. They stick with him. And they move forward. They go back to double digit wins on a regular basis. They went thirteen and three last year. They're gonna go back to the playoffs. Like if you know you have a good coach, is my point. And yeah. we, and if you think Mike Zimmer is a good coach, we're getting way ahead of ourselves because he's not on the hot seat. But if they don't make the playoffs this year, and if they don't make the playoffs next pressure. year, but they're competitive, I don't think it should be an automatic, oh, oh got to fire the coach. That's what every NFL team does. But the smart organizations like the Steelers know that they have a good coach. They stick with them, even if you have a couple down years. This is, this, I'm like, three, three years from now, don't fire Zimmer this is, is what I'm saying. This, <laughs> this is true. The only thing that I will say, and Pittsburgh is is one of the rare franchises in all of pro sports that bucks this trend consistently, is... The shelf life issue, but that takes a while, right? Like Mike McCarthy really had reached the thirteen years was a great run. Read, read in Philadelphia the same exact thing. But that can be narrative too. I'm not saying that like the no, McCarthy but thing was. But warranted. I'm just saying that that's the one thing. That's the one debatable issue that really eventually can come into play. But what's r- remarkable about what you just went through is. Think about this. How many organizations do what the Steelers do? The Spurs, right? The Spurs probably do. Mm-hmm. Utah did with the Jets with Jerry Sloan. Jerry Sloan, yeah. But you, I can Utah, count those on one hand. Utah's a better example, too, because like you would never fire. Popovich was winning a championship every three years. Utah wasn't. and they But yeah. they knew that they had a good coach. And, they never, and it took them 
It took Jerry Sloan and Malone and Stockton. It took them a decade plus to get to the NBA Finals mm-hmm. before they even got there. Yeah, and then they got to two in a row and lost to Michael. But besides Jordan, that, which who else? Fair, but yeah, but that, but like to what you were saying, Judd, about like again, Mike McCarthy. It's pretty obvious him and Aaron Rodgers just needed a break. So there are instances like that. But I'm guessing there was a lot of people in 1999, that Steelers example, that said, oh, Bill Cowher, he's been here for eight years, the messages run dry. Oh, I think there were. Or that's just a narrative, and he's a good coach, and you should stick with him. Ah, fire so. him. Come on, make changes. <laughs> it's more fun. Uh, we wrap with Royce next. Don't go anywhere. Assume the position. More Mackie and Judd coming up next on 1500 ESPN. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Please keep working during the following announcement. Mackie and Judd are back on 1500 ESPN. All right, let's check traffic here before we uh, wrap with Royce. you got a couple crashes to tell you about on Highway 100. Judd Zolgad, are you listening? Pay attention. Uh, Highway 100 northbound. This won't affect you, Judd. Uh, near Golden Valley, we got a crash between 394 and Glenwood, causing about a five-minute delay. Judd, this one might affect you, though. Highway 100 southbound, St. Louis Park, between West 36th and Excelsior Boulevard. We got a crash there, causing about a five-minute That's five on the way to Bunnies. Delay. Clear that right now. <laughs> That's right in the way of me getting to Bunnies. Drive safely there, sir. Turnover, Nebraska. There's Coffee. Coffee lays it up and in. Grayer off the glass. That's Coffee. Beg your pardon. It'll count and one. Have you been in a more emotional game than this one? I've not. Um, I'm proud of you know to do that when you lose your mom at this age. It's really really hard. So I'm proud of him. Uh, Pat, that was not not a bad night for Minnesota basketball teams across the board, but that was a pretty cool moment there for the Gophers to come back against Nebraska and for for the team to to uh, rally around Dupree McBrayer considering the circumstances. Yeah, uh, Nebraska's, uh, they're not real big, but they got some athletes. But the Gophers did have the advantage of having the two best players on the floor. Uh, Mirakoff is fantastic, and uh, Murphy is uh, still a force inside to uh, be reckoned with, uh, rebounding and uh, raising general havoc. And uh, that's, his, that's the best game Coffey's played for the Gophers. He's played 60 of them, and uh, I I can't recall uh, early in his freshman year he had a few where uh, he took over the game completely but uh, not against this kind of an opponent and uh, he was uh, fantastic last night and in fact if he hadn't uh, gotten those two uh, sudden for no reason fouls there at the end of the first half he had, uh, you know, in the first half, they were basically getting beat six, seven points the whole first half. And uh, then he had 14 points in five minutes and uh, and uh, ended up putting them ahead. And then he had those two quick fouls. But, uh, you know, he was just really good and got to the line for 17 free throws. They couldn't yeah. keep him out of the, uh, you know, lane. They couldn't keep him uh, from driving on him. Uh, and uh, it, was a, it was a tremendous performance by him. And boy, a lot of people, including me, have been questioning the idea of having uh, having him play point guard because it just didn't look like it was working for him. And then last night, he was just great. So, Pat, um, it, it's not as abrasive as I found it to be on TV, but can we get a normal basketball floor back there? 
No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I don't like this floor, Pat. Wow. Uh, it's uh, it, it's a little disconcerting watching, but once you get used to it, I guess you can, you kind of you kind of forget about it. But if you're looking at if you're looking at college basketball around the country, this is happening all over the place. Everybody's doing weird things to their floors. There's patterns of uh, you know just spots and. Uh, Squiggly marks and a lot of uh, what was the name of the crazy artist who just uh, put uh, Pollock was it who just kind of uh, throw through paint at the uh, at the floor that was there's a lot of floors that look like that that's what we're going to be dealing with now I it's think like we, Oregon's I, floor Oregon's floor oh. just looks like just a big pile of mud off yeah. on a basketball court uh, yeah, yeah it's it's kind of happening all over and uh, I think I think uh, we're probably uh, going to have to get used to this one uh, there that's not their big problem their big problem is nobody came to the game last night it was a terrible crowd uh you know they announced 96 which means 76 right i mean they paid their pad and everybody pads it pads the crowds and uh i'm beginning to think it's the price uh, i was talking to mike Grimm and a couple other guys because they got themselves stuck with that uh surcharge uh whatever the hell norwood t called it they now have to they don't want a guy who paid, you know, $500 a ticket to be standing, sitting next to somebody who got in the game for like 35 bucks is what what's the seat should be worth. So they're charging 80, 85 bucks to sit downstairs for a gopher basketball game. They're nuts. They're, uh, I, I don't know. They're going to have to do something. They're going to have to, you know what they're going to have to do? They're going to have to make those donations voluntarily, uh, voluntary. They're going to have to, uh, Go to the ticket buyers and ask them to pay it. But if they don't want to, they got to let them buy tickets. It's it's a preposterous. There's no way, everything being equal, that that wasn't a game that should have eleven or twelve thousand people. Uh, you know, because the team's been okay. Nebraska's a good opponent, and to have nobody at the game was ridiculous. Yeah, uh, Jonathan Scope, one year, seven million dollars. Twins second baseman. Your thoughts? Oh heck, yeah. Uh, well, that's Falvey. He's a keeper, it's a secret keeper, because I talked to him about fifth for fifteen minutes about something else this morning. He never told me that. So, oh, yeah. so he was. I'm sure he was dying to tell you. But well, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, well, uh, that yeah, I'm okay with that. I think he can have a bounce back year, don't you? He, uh, you know, Milwaukee thought they were two years ago. He was on some uh, MVP ballots. You know, yeah. top ten. He had a hell of a year. And then last year, uh, Milwaukee went and got him and thought they were going to get somebody really helpful, and he just he just did not uh, perform. But, uh, yeah, I'll take him. He can play second base, too. He's, he's fine. So uh, that's uh, that, that, And it's also an indication that they, they aren't going to go the way of Seattle and try to, uh, try to intentionally be terrible. So that's good. Say, I got some news for you guys. Okay. Not, not great news. Larry the Axe has uh, passed away. Yeah, heard that this morning. Yeah. He did? Okay. All right. I, yeah, Manny said he hadn't talked about it. But uh, Larry, uh, Larry Henning from uh, Robbinsdale, Minnesota, local heroic athlete, found out the way to make money in wrestling was to become a bad guy. So uh, even though he was <laughs> Vern Gagne's protege, he became Vern's arch rival. So that was uh, that's the way of wrestling. And you, do, you do what you have to do to uh, make money. And, yes. Uh, 
And for Larry, it was uh, becoming Harley Race's partner and uh, doing vile things to the opposition, including <laughs> breaking rules on occasion. And for if, and if there's because the Hennigs have three generations of yes. of nowhere the name. So Larry the Axe was the the grandfather of current WWE uh, star Curtis Axel, but the one in the middle. Kurt was Kurt Hennig, I and he Kurt was Hennig. he was Mister Perfect in the eighties and nineties, and he'd yeah, carry around the towel and, and uh, died young, and that always uh, that haunted Larry. Larry was uh, there. Larry had a really bad time uh, with that when his son died young, and uh, but uh, yeah, his son was uh, the son in the middle was well, I guess Kurt Axel's pretty dang big too, right? But uh, Kurt Hennig was huge, Mister Perfect, so. Yeah, Mr. Was, Perfect. Uh, the, if you ever do, Judge, you should do a YouTube search. Mr. Perfect did a thing at the Viking at Winter Park back in like the early '90s, where he was showing how perfect he was at every sport. And they have a clip of him dropping bases. Larry the Axe's kid dropping back, throwing a pass, and then they edit it so that he's catching his pass, oh, his yeah. own pass, fifty <laughs> yards down the field. <laughs> I never saw that one. Yeah, yeah that's pretty, well, pretty funny. Uh, well, what's, uh, I, I have not yet uh, looked at enough details. What was Larry about pushing 80? I think he was in his something. early 80s. Yeah, yeah early like 80s. 83 yeah, I, or something. You know, the thing about him is he got done wrestling, he worked. You know, he yeah. he had a job at a company, and he uh, he kept uh, working at it. I'm gonna have to give George a call uh, tonight and uh, and get some of his recollections on uh, on Larry. Uh, I did a piece that when Harley Race died, I did a piece on uh, on the tandem of them not that long ago. Harley only died a couple of years ago, but uh, you know that's uh, 80s about as good as one of these wrestlers can expect. That's for sure. It they, is. Uh, yeah, they, they don't live to they don't live to be as old as Sid. So. No, they do not. No, no. Most, <laughs> no. most normal people don't. <laughs> yeah. Hey, how'd you like Sid come fighting back today with a? His, did you read his uh, column? Uh, basically, the Taj Mahal is the greatest thing the Twin Cities have ever done for themselves. Uh, what what it's meant to us, all of us as citizens, is just fantastic. He had to combat your negativity towards the great place. Did he interview a bird? To get the other side of the story. I tell you what he didn't do. Pay $42 yeah. for a couple burgers and fries. <laughs> right. He did not. Oh, he man. Did not. He did. Does he, does he have a press box name for him there or just the entrance? Just the entrance. We'll get just there. The entrance. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, just wait. Phil's yeah. right. Pat, we'll talk to you tomorrow. See you, right? Okay, goodbye. All right. Uh, whoops, let me you know, say bye to Pat. Uh, all right, we got like five seconds. But you can find our on-demand stuff, and we'll continue this conversation tomorrow. Write that down tomorrow, too.